Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for Season 2, Episode 58, where Bob brought on Ed Aid's attorney, Allison Clayton, to discuss recent developments in his case. Now, we got a lot of feedback from listeners, a voicemail, some emails, and a lot from our fan page, so let's get right into the questions. Sounds good, Mike. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Mike, let's get started with a voicemail from Julia. Hey, Robin, Mike, this is Julia. Uh, first of all, thank you to you guys and to Allison for that great interview that aired today. I'm still a little bit obsessed with that case, and I'd love to see it solved properly. Anyway, I've been meaning to ask you this for a while, and following that update on Ed, this is kind of a perfect time. Bob, you and I met in Tyler during the Carrie Cook shenanigans. And at the time, you were definitely ready to just burn Smith County Justice to the ground. You were done with it. And at the time, David Dobbs was kind of our big villain in the eighth case. But now, it sounds like things have turned around in terms of their cooperation in Smith County. So my question is, do you think that you initially judged the DA's office too harshly at that time? Or has there been a culture shift over in Smith County? Or at this point, is Ed's case just so compelling that even DAs who were formerly, uh, let's say, unhelpful can see that some sort of miscarriage of justice has happened? And because of this specific case, they are more compelled to be helpful now. In that same vein, is there anything specifically that you'd like to see happen across the country in order to encourage DAs to be more cooperative when we have potential false conviction cases in post-conviction stages? That's it. Thank you for all that you do, and hopefully see you guys around during New Orleans Crime Con. Should be fun. Bye. Hey, Julia. Uh, thank you for the voicemail, and yeah, I remember meeting you and Tyler, and I guess there was a lot of levels to your your question there, but 
to begin with, yeah, I mean, back then, I was, I think you put it pretty well, that I was ready to burn the Smith County injustice system to the ground, and, and David Dobbs was certainly kind of the villain of the case at that point, and there, there has been a culture shift, and I'd like to think that all of us working together has been a part of that shift. And I'm just by nature, I am, uh, I guess, a forgiving person, or I'm always willing to give someone a chance to change their ways and and be somebody new and take their life in a different direction. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hold people to what they did years ago if they're trying to better themselves now. And frankly, that's because if um, that's just the way I feel. Because if everyone judged me by my past actions, then none of you would be listening right now. Uh, so that being said. David Dobbs and Smith County have had a very big shift in uh, Ed Aid's case specifically, uh, and also in the Carrie Max Cook case, uh, but there's some differences there. Um, so th- let me touch on real quick with Carrie Max Cook, because I haven't talked about him for a long time. I just I want everybody to know up front that I 100% fully support Carrie Max Cook. I believe 100% that he's innocent. He was devastated by the Smith County injustice system. And what was done to him was is unforgivable. He's been battling this for 40 years, four different convictions, the death penalty, the torture that happened to him. Uh, he was sentenced to the death penalty and the torture that happened to him while in prison uh, because of the actions taken by the, the Smith County DAs and the judges. You know, that's it's horrible. Now, with that being said, if some of you realize who really followed that case that there's a little bit of a disconnect between maybe me and Carrie, and that's not good. I love the man to death, and I said I support him. As I said, I support him to no end, but I'm able to be outside of his case and look in. And it's the same thing with Ed, um, but but you know, Carrie's situation was a little more dire than, I won't say a little more, I mean, I, I hate to weigh them against each other. Ed had 18 years of his life, or 20 years of his life stolen away. And and Carrie had 22 years, but but Ed wasn't didn't suffer the torture that that Carrie did while he was in prison. But I'm able in both cases to sit on the outside and look in and play chess, so to speak, and look at strategy wise how do we right these wrongs? Because the bottom line is, you can never right the wrongs. You cannot give Ed back his 20 years that he lost. You cannot give him back the fact that he missed the birth of his son that he missed both of his children growing up. He got out of prison months after his son graduated high school. Zach and Cairo is already in college by that point. I mean, he missed their whole their whole childhood. You can't give that back. He missed 20 years with his wife. You just you can't give that back. You can't make it right. But me not being in that, I can look at it and say, okay, knowing that we can't make that right, how can we best move forward in a way that is is going to be good and acceptable for Ed Eight and Carrie Max Cook. You know, in, in Ed's case, which is the one you were asking about, obviously, you have, you know, Dobbs, and as all of you know, I met with David Dobbs. I presented a case file to him. We had an off-the-record conversation. And from that point forward, David Dobbs has been very cooperative. From that point forward, Matt Bingham has been very cooperative. And I, I believe that they they are they are genuine in the fact that they want to seek justice, and it may be so much as something as simple as them just as no one being able to get their attention about these other cases. You know, as a prosecutor, you you can't every time you get a conviction, you have to I imagine 
try to forget about that case and move on to the next one because mistakes can be made. And if you second guess everything you do, you'd never sleep. You'd be tortured. It would be terrible. In Ed's case, we were able to get David Dobbs' attention. We were able to get Matt Bingham's attention. And we had Allison Clayton of the Innocence Project really pushing the ball forward in this case. And and I can only judge David Dobbs and Matt Bingham based on what they're doing now. And what they're doing now is trying to help. And, and as I said, I'm not putting on them that they think Ed's innocent or they're trying to exonerate him. But they're certainly trying to help find the actual truth at this point. And I have to respect that. But again, that doesn't make up for what was done to Ed. And and getting back to Kerry Max Cook, kind of our our disconnect. Because some people have asked me, why don't you support Kerry Max Cook anymore? I absolutely one hundred percent do. I don't necessarily share the same viewpoint as Kerry as far as what happened to him, and that is simply because what happened to Kerry didn't happen to me. I can only look at it logically from the outside, and and I don't have the emotion and the torment and the memories and the post traumatic stress and everything that Kerry has. What happened for those of you that didn't listen to season two? or they don't remember, Kerry Cook took basically, it was a NOLO or a, an Alford-type plea in his case 20 years ago. And since then, he's been trying to clear his name. And he finally had a, an opportunity to go before a judge and and argue his case for actual innocence. Gary Yudishin with the Innocence Project of Texas was working with Matt Bingham at the time, who Gary has stated to publicly and to me that Bingham, much like he's done with Allison Clayton, was helpful, that he was sharing documents with him, he was giving him all the evidence he needed, and in fact, when when Kerry went into that hearing, the two of them, they negotiated a deal where Matt Bingham would agree, uncontested, to vacate Kerry Max Cook's conviction. Now, that's not actual innocence, but it would take the conviction off of his record, and then they would have another hearing to argue for actual innocence. Now, I don't know what would have happened in that hearing. What did happen was eventually was that he was not granted actual innocence by the judge. Uh, but everything became a mess because after the agreement was made and they went into court, part of what happened in court is Gary Yudishin really praised Bingham for his support and held him up as the gold standard because here he is, a DA, who was willing to help and work out and agree to set aside the conviction. And, and I, I suppose if you go back and listen to the episode, I think it was titled in season two, This Is Not My Story with Carrie, or about Carrie's case, as time went on and, and Carrie realized what had just happened, essentially Bingham and David Dobbs and Jack Skeen and all the people that had tormented and tortured Carrie Max Cook that, that put him through what he had to go through, what he's still going through, not only got a complete pass, but they were praised in front of the judge and in public, and and Kerry was furious, and he had every right to be furious, and he ended up firing the Innocence Project of Texas, and he believes very much that, that he was done wrong, that he was pushed into that deal, and I'm not saying that's not the case. I don't know. I don't know the inner workings of all that, but for me, I know that the, you know the Innocence Project of Texas, they, they told him right up front, our goal and mission is to get you exonerated. We're not here for for retribution. We're not here for vindication. We're just trying to play the chess game, so to speak, to get your conviction overturned, which is what they did. But the manner in which they did it was was just devastating to Kerry. He's still tortured by this, by, by what happened. And like I said, I, I support him having that viewpoint. And I could say that I don't, I, I think that the Innocence Project of Texas 
did the right thing. And, and, and Carrie will probably be upset with, by, with, with me saying that, but, that, but that's honestly how I feel. They did the right thing. They did what they were supposed to do, which was get Carrie exonerated. But again, I have the luxury of being on the outside looking in, whereas Carrie Max Cook is the one that is having to live with this every single day. He's been living with it for over 40 years. Uh, but that, that kind of looping back to Julia's question, yeah, I, I believe there's been a culture shift. I don't know what the per- reason is for it. And as I said, I, I like to think that the work we're doing put enough pressure on these people to help cause that culture shift. Because essentially, back when we were starting to do this case, they just shut down the media. They don't want to talk to anybody. They were just they they just had full control over what happened in Smith County, and they weren't doing anything. And and now they're helping. So as far as I'm concerned, there's nothing else we can ask for other than them to take honest looks at this case, be cooperative, turn over materials, allow testing, and see where things go. Um, and as far as the culture shift goes, too, remember Bingham's not there anymore. So now we have a new DA in Jacob Putman who is not part of the old guard. You know, it's it's been described Smith County is is the DA's office being incestuous. And, you know, it started from um gosh, what is his name now? I'm forgetting all the names. A.D. Clark and then Jack Skeen. Uh Buck Files was part of this. He was part of Kerry's defense, I think. And then and then David Dobbs up to Matt Bingham, you know, uh, Clark and Skeen, I think, were cousins. And then it were to pass on to David. So basically, the assistant DA always moved up. And and there is there, I think that there has a tendency to be for the new guard to protect the old guard, where they, they don't want to have the old old guard come up, the old DAs come up for prosecutorial misconduct. They're trying to protect the office. They're trying to protect their friends, their family, even in some of these cases. But with Putman in there, he's not part of that old guard. He's a complete outsider, and certainly he seems like he is he is a law and order guy, but is also a guy that's seeking the truth and seeking justice. And he certainly is is proving to put his actions where his mouth is with Allison Clayton. He's working with her to get things done. So um, that was a very long answer to your question. As far as what what I want to see done nationally, I think was the end of Julia's question. What I'd like to see done nationally is exactly, and and again, this is going to sound crazy to hear coming out of my mouth because I certainly was ready to burn them to the ground, so to speak, a few years ago. But really, the best I could ask for 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 prosecutors' office nationally is to do exactly what Smith County's doing. Just don't oppose. Nobody's asking you to just turn over and and allow these uh, convictions to just just give up and let convictions be overturned because there are victims to deal with. There are juries that should be respected, but. What we're asking for is for the DA's offices around the country to just allow the truth to come out, whatever that is. And that means don't oppose new testing and new DNA testing. Don't oppose access to the evidence. Don't don't keep defendants from viewing evidence, testing evidence. And when you see the writings on the wall, you know, as Allison said in the episode, where some DAs have told her off the record, we absolutely believe your guy's innocent. But we're we're going to keep fighting this for whatever public reason there is. If we can create a culture shift, and that culture shift has to happen from more than just inside the politics, it has to happen with the people as well. Because what these what these these DAs are doing, they're 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 fighting for elections all the time. And so if you have communities that think you know every conviction is solid and we can't be overturning convictions, and if you lose cases, we're going to vote you out of office without really looking at the big picture. Then, then what's going to end up happening is you're going to have district attorneys behaving in that same way because that's what it's going to take to get reelected. So we just we need a culture shift nationally to understand that 
mistakes can be made. And sometimes it can be absolutely unintentional, but mistakes can be made. People get wrongfully convicted. And all we're asking for is for district attorneys around the country to allow the truth to come out. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. John says, what are the next steps in Ed's case, given what we know now? And when can we expect those steps to occur? Well, we still don't have all the evidence yet. So if, if you didn't catch what Allison was saying, where we're at right now is she's fully confident that we can get Ed's conviction thrown out now. We could file, uh, it's called an 11073 writ, I believe, which is uh, a junk science claim just strictly based on the shoe shit, uh, as, as we've always called it, the, the scraping up from the bottom of Ed's shoe. You know, so the way that went down is at trial, uh, that scraping was presented, and uh, I think it was Huckel testified that, you know, he gave it the smell test, and he was sure that it was poop, and uh, then it went to the lab, and they did some some kind of testing on it, and determined that it was, uh, there was human protein found in it, and so those two things connected together to present to the jury that that was human feces on Ed's shoe. But that science was incorrect just because that it was uh, human protein did not necessarily mean that it was feces. So, and what we know now is it doesn't matter if it was feces because whatever it was, it wasn't Elnora. So it doesn't make a, a, a bit of difference. But he was convicted on that junk science. That's enough to overturn the conviction. But we also have this full gamut of DNA testing that now shows Ed is absolutely nowhere on that crime scene. There are other individuals' DNA who is on that crime scene. Uh, so we're, we're, we're this close. Allison says she's confident that she could get an actual innocence exoneration right now, and I tend to agree with her, but that's a very tough burden. And, and I believe, and I'm not speaking for Allison, I'll tell you what I think should happen and, and, and what I believe is going to happen is they're going to wait, especially we have nothing but time now because Ed's out. Ed is out of prison. There's no reason to jump the gun and run into a problem like Adnan Syed had, which is they filed his 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 writ, and then after, you know, then years later, they find the cell phone evidence, and they include that. It's overturned, but then the higher court says, nope, you didn't include that at the beginning, so you can't use it. We don't want to end up in that situation. So with Ed being out and home with his family, there there's not, that there's that's a good reason for us not to rush and do this right. And so we have, we have DNA profiles out there with nobody yet to match them to. And I, I don't think until we can match, I think we should wait until we can match them or find out if we can match them. We have fingerprints that are from the crime scene that we haven't, we haven't been able to compare against certain people. 
and I don't think that we should do anything until that's done. So essentially, what needs to happen next, the process moving forward, is to to continue, take the ball across the finish line, and and make sure we finish all of the testing. We take every possible resource, get as much information as possible, and then a writ will be filed. And I believe that Allison can file two separate writs. She can file a writ of actual innocence, and then I, and I believe she can also file separately. I'm not positive about that, or somehow it can be included a junk science writ, and and through that process. Number, there's two things that can happen there. One is conviction can be vacated, which is basically ordering a new trial. Uh, Ed will not be tried again. I can promise you that. There's no evidence left. All the evidence points somewhere else. And he's already served his sentence. He was paroled. So even if they did retry him again and convicted him again, he's already served his sentence. So it, it, it would change nothing other than to put the conviction back on his record. So uh, that's one thing. And then the other is having enough evidence to get that actual innocence exoneration. And and that is the ultimate goal. And for me, the ultimate goal is to put the person or persons who killed Elnora Griffin behind bars once and for all for the rest of their lives. And and I do not want to stop or 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 pull up early uh, to get the conviction thrown out when we can get actual innocence exoneration and we can finally get justice for Elnora Griffin. Lauren says in regards to the DNA profile in the Ed Eights case, could it be submitted to a genealogy site for familiar matches? That is one possibility. If the profiles that we have are strong enough or they're, they're, they're full enough profiles that they can be submitted, that is a potential avenue, yes. Robin says, can you expand on the unknown DNA in Ed's case? Where was this found? Specifically wondering what was found under the fingernails. Unfortunately, I'm not going to, and this isn't under orders of Allison or anything. I mean, she's she's given me a report that is, you know, that I can share. I've decided that uh, I don't think it's the right move just yet to share all that information. Um, the investigation is still ongoing. There are potential suspects that we want to compare that to, and and quite frankly. I don't want to tip anybody off right now. I don't want anybody to know what we know. I mean, Allison has shared shared a lot. Uh, she shared what she was comfortable sharing. And I I know that I'm sure you have more, Mike. I know there's going to be a lot of questions um, about that DNA. But at this point, the only purpose for me sharing it with all of you is just to let you all in on what's going on, which I would love to do. But the downside of that could be uh, devastating for the case. And for finding justice for Elnora. So right now, I think that the the best move I've decided is to kind of keep the rest of that under wraps. Just know there are unknown profiles. Know that Ed's DNA is nowhere on the scene, and we need uh, we we just need a profile or profiles to compare those two. This one's kind of the same as John's question, but Anne says on Twitter, "Does Ed now have a chance of actual innocence exoneration?" Yeah, uh, the process I just talked about. But yeah, I, I absolutely believe that he does. And that's a big deal. So the actual innocence exoneration, the, the difference, I guess I didn't quite fully explain that. So getting uh, the, the conviction vacated, ordering a new trial, removes the conviction from Ed's record, but then he can kind of hang in limbo there. Like I said, I don't think there's any way Smith County retries him at this point, but they can just let that sit there for a long time or... Uh, they can they can issue an order saying that they are not going to prosecute, and the basically the charges get dropped, um, and then it, it's over for Ed. But there's something, and and I don't know that Ed cares about this. Uh, I don't know who cares, but I but I care about it. Ed had 20 years of his life taken away from him, and in Texas, 
if he gets a full actual innocence exoneration, the state of Texas owes him $80,000 for every single year that he spent behind bars and then $40,000 a year for the rest of his life. So I would love for the end result of this to be the the best retribution. You know, I talked about for forgiveness of these guys and, and judging people by what they're doing now, but I believe that Ed deserves to get that check and he and and he's owed over a million dollars. I think I think somewhere around two million dollars. I'm not doing the math in my head right now. That they really will owe him if he gets an actual innocence exoneration. And I think he deserves it. And I think it's a good thing that Texas has that law in the books. It it shows some progression there and moving towards criminal justice reform, trying to make up for wrongs. Uh, so yeah, he does have a chance for actual innocence exoneration, and that's why we're waiting to get all of the evidence to push that through. Uh, to put it before a judge, and then the end result would be that Ed Eights would would become a millionaire, which again doesn't give him his twenty years left, but it may be able to make the next twenty years a little better. All right, Nandy says I noticed that the sex of the DNA found and tested in Ed's case was not disclosed or even asked about. I'm guessing that was intentional. Is that information available? That was intentional, and I guess that's uh that's all I'm going to say about it right now. But. Um, and, and understand, I know this is, I know that's frustrating some people and I'm sure people, some people can make some assumptions, but understand the reason for holding some of this back right now is understand we are right there. This is not some long shot, anything like we are right there about to solve this case and put Elnor Griffin's killer behind bars. And I'm just not going to give it away. I'm, I'm not going to tip anyone off. Because to be honest with you, the person who belongs to that DNA, the person who belongs to those fingerprints, is probably listening right now. And I bet they're getting a little nervous, and they should be. Harks from Twitter says, If the feces sample was contaminated with human DNA, is it possibly not human at all? Well, it wasn't... Well, there's a couple things there. First of all, what we're calling the feces sample, we have no idea if it was feces. That was part of the junk science. It was stated at trial that it was feces. But all we have, I've seen the actual evidence. I mean, I've seen it in the baggie in the evidence room. You have too, Mike. You've been there with me. That's right. It's a little baggie and it looks like sand in it, which to me isn't feces. Feces doesn't, when it dries out, doesn't look like individual grains of sand, which is what it looks like. I don't think that it is feces. I don't think it ever was feces. I think it's just some dirt on the bottom of his shoe. But so the first thing is, we don't know that that was feces. I personally think it likely wasn't. And and it being contaminated with with male DNA or human DNA, like I said, Ed could have someone could have spit on the ground and Ed stepped in it, and and we would have got this result a, a male DNA profile on the bottom of Ed's shoe. But what we have to understand is that means nothing at this. It means a lot for Ed's case, but it means absolutely nothing in finding out who Elnor Griffin's killer was. The only reason the scraping from Ed's shoe was significant was because they claimed that it was Elnor's feces on the bottom of his shoe. Now that we know it was not Elnora's feces on the bottom of the shoe, it doesn't matter what it is because it came from somewhere else from inside the trailer. He could have picked. He was he was at his uncle's house, you know, helping him on the farm. It could have been something that was picked up from there. It doesn't matter. What was on the bottom of Ed's shoe is irrelevant in us trying to solve Elnora Griffin's murder. It is very relevant for Ed's legal case, though. Maddie says after listening to this episode, I revisited the interview with Leonard Mosley. With the new information that the semen is a DNA match to Leonard, do you have or will you be looking into any updates on him as a suspect? No, well, to be honest with you, I've always known that was Leonard's DNA. I don't think there was any question. For those of you who have listened to season two, 
Uh, I ended that season back in what 2016 with my my theory or hypothesis of what I believed happened. Uh, but I've never ever bought that this was an old stain on a mattress. I mean, there was what we do know is is Leonard Mosley left a voicemail on Elnora's answer machine that day and said he'll see her after work. He always went to her house after work on Thursdays. She cooked a meal that was sitting on the stove at eleven o'clock at night when when she was when she was killed. I mean, all indications were that Leonard Mosley went to her house that day after work as he did every Thursday. We also had the fact that she's found nude and there's semen on her comforter. What happened back then was the the Smith County Sheriff's Department assumed based on what Kubia Jackson had said that Elnora said she was sitting here talking to Edward, they assumed Ed was their guy. So that semen on the comforter was extremely significant. They couldn't wait to get that out for testing to prove that it was Ed. The problem is that when it came back and it wasn't Ed's, all they did was blood typing on it. And as soon as they found out that it wasn't Ed's blood type and it could not possibly have been his semen on the comforter, then it became irrelevant. Because honestly, back then with with the the technology that they had back in 1993, they they had missed some huge investigative steps that very likely could have kept them from solving the case, meaning Elnora went through a horrible attack, and she fought with her life. She ran, she escaped, she got caught again. Whoever killed her would have had cuts on them, they would have had bruises on them, they would have had fingernail scratches on them, They and they checked Ed for all that, and he didn't have a mark on his body. But I think if they had went and checked the other suspects, very likely they would have found indications on their body, on their clothes, in their house that would show that they were involved in Elnora's murder. But it was too late then. A month later, all that's gone. And so they just, they, they kept their blinders on. They kept going after Ed and, and tried to explain away what should have been and was significant evidence. All right, we've got an email from listener Lauren. She writes, after listening to this week's DNA update in the Elnora Griffin murder, I'm hoping you can summarize your hypothesis on how many people you think came in and out of Elnora's trailer during the course of the night she was murdered. Yeah, and you, you know, like, I'll do this very briefly. Uh, if you haven't listened to season two yet, I think you're missing out. You should go listen to the whole thing because there are, you know, 30 some hours of investigation on the podcast that lead to this. But very briefly, I still hold now the same theory that I held back in 2016. And again, I want to make very clear, this is not an accusation. I'm just saying this is what I personally believe the evidence indicates. I believe that after work, Leonard Mosley probably did go over to Elnora's house. She cooked him dinner, as she always did on Thursday nights. They ate dinner, they retired to the bedroom, and I believe they were either in the middle of or just finished uh, with a sexual encounter when Leonard Mosley's girlfriend, who he was living with, because there was this love triangle going on, I think it is, is highly likely that she showed up at the house and went inside, caught the two of them together, and all hell broke loose. I think that originally she was likely strangling Elnora in the, in the bedroom, and the only way that I can see that Elnora could have gotten away from her, which the crime scene certainly indicates she did get away from her and run for the front door, would be if Leonard was actually trying to help and trying to get her off of Elnora. I think he succeeded in that. I think that Elnora took off running for the front door and very likely, again, just my personal theory, uh, that Leonard's girlfriend eventually caught Elnora and that's when she slit her throat in the living room. 
And so far, the more of a microscope we put on this case, the more evidence that gets tested, nothing is indicating that anything other than that happened. It doesn't mean that's what happened, but I'm really, really excited to get the rest of this evidence back and and we'll find out. And I'll be happy to issue a, a full apology for thinking the way I think if the evidence indicates something other than that's what happened. But as of right now, that is my working theory. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Jen says, how does Becky Ruff feel being married to a bona fide TV star with a face for radio? <laughs> uh, well... I think if you ask Becky, she would tell you it feels just about the same as being married to a fireman. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing, Nothing's really different there. Sherry says, why, when available, is DNA testing now not mandatory for anyone held or charged with the capital crime? Well, actually, the answer to that is it is now uh, if the crime happens to be a felony and if they're convicted. Yeah, I know. It, I'm not sure if that's just a Texas law or I believe it's national, though. But yeah, I think since like 2015, you're right that. Uh, if it's a felony, I don't know if it has if it's once they're convicted or once they are charged and indicted. But yeah, that that is entered into the database now. But unfortunately, prior to that, it wasn't. Jody says, "Do you have to get permission to test DNA in your case, even if you pay for it?" Yes, you do. Uh, the The prosecution is kind of the gatekeeper. Well, they're not kind of; they are the gatekeepers of the evidence. And so that process, kind of going back to what I said earlier, all depends on the prosecutor themselves. Now, if you have guys like Matt Bingham that are like, yeah, test whatever you want. I even want to test some stuff, too. It's no problem. But then you have other cases. And in fact, one of the cases we're looking at for our season seven case, we're running into this where it seems as though the prosecutor is absolutely fighting tooth and nail to not test DNA evidence. Uh, And so when you say you have to ask permission, the first step is ask permission from the prosecutor. If you have a reasonable prosecutor then they they will just agree, like Matt Bingham did, uh, and file a memo to the judge, uh, a combined memo saying, hey, we want to test this DNA. If they are arguing, then the, the permission request has to go to a judge, and you have to argue both sides, and that's what happened, say, in the West Memphis 3 case. The West Memphis 3 wanted to test all this DNA and use the results of that DNA testing in their appeals, and the prosecution didn't want them to test. They were They were hiding the truth. They were trying to keep the truth from coming out. And they had to go before a panel of judges and argue it. And then the judges decide that, yes, they could test the DNA. And then that's exactly what happened. So the the permission comes from a judge, technically, but that's only necessary if the prosecution is trying to hide from the truth. Rachel says, I'm confused. We are moving to another case because there's nothing left to discuss. I have questions regarding the maid. What was her schedule? Was she scheduled to clean their house on the day of the murder? Also, was her daughter caught stealing from the Melgars? What about the mystery photographer? Yeah, well, understand that when I say we're moving on to another case, as I explained, that doesn't mean this week we're moving on to another case. I'm just trying to give you guys a heads up that it's coming. Because you realize we, we don't take weeks off, and and when we, we can't keep working this case all the way to the end and say, okay, now it's time to move on to another case and start researching then. 
So we needed to put out to let you guys know we're we're in the middle of researching, give you an idea of about how long this season is going to go until we conclude it. And then we need to be in that review process and start to research the next case. So once we end season six, we can start season seven the next week. So we're not done yet, and we're going to cover those things. Although I will say with the cameraman, as I've said over and over again, there's nothing I can do with that. We've discussed everything we know, which is Herman says he saw a man with a camera doesn't remember what he looked like, does not remember what kind of camera it was. That's it. There's there's nothing else I can do with that. That's all we know, unless somebody comes forward with a tip about the cameraman. Uh, and so but we're going to talk about the maids. We're going to, th- this week, we're wrapping up, uh, on, on Sunday, two days from now, we're wrapping up our discussions, for now at least, on Sinead Gonzalez and her crew. Uh, we find some really interesting information uh, about her that I think could be significant, but is definitely worth explaining before we move on to our next suspect. But we're still going to continue to to wrap up and discuss all the alternate suspects. We're still going to do that. We're not ending right now. Uh, And then once we're done with that, then we're moving on to the next season. Rosemary says, how can people in the UK donate to the Texas Innocence Project? Well, you can donate to the Innocence Project of Texas right on their website. I don't know if there's an issue with doing that from across the pond. Uh, but if not, there's also on their website, there's information on where you could just mail a check to them. Um, so it, it, it's pretty easy to donate to. Either you just go to their website. Like I said, you may be able to donate right there online. If you can't, there's an address. You can always write a check and send it to them. And I really, really recommend everybody do that if, you, if you're able to. Kathy says, in regards to the TV show, is this a one-time deal or will you be doing other cases after this? Well, I don't know. The, I mean, the the hope is that uh, Truth and Justice, the TV show, would be very similar to the podcast, where every season we would cover a new case, but it's TV. I can make this podcast all I want. I can make as many episodes for as long as I want to, and no one can tell me to stop. Y'all can stop listening, but no one can tell me to stop. Very different with TV. So I guess we would see how this season goes. Uh, if it if it goes really well and the audiences want more, then of course there were. I mean, there's a whole process there, but I imagine we would probably move into a season two where we would cover another case. Because right now, the working title is Truth and Justice colon, and then this current season, the first season is the West Memphis Three. The idea being, if there's a second season, it could be Truth and Justice colon the Melgar Jim Melgar murder or the the Melgar something like whatever the whatever the other case would be. Uh, but it's it's set up so we can move on with other cases, but no way of knowing right now if that's going to happen or not. All right, and our last question is from Abby. Are you excited for CrimeCon? I am very excited for CrimeCon. Uh, Becky and I just got our tickets booked last week, and our hotel is booked. So we are going to be arriving on Thursday, and I'm really looking forward to seeing all of you. I mean, that was the very first time I went to CrimeCon. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Neither did Mike. It was a culture shock for sure, but it was awesome. Yeah, Mike doesn't particularly like crowds, so it was a bit of a culture shock. There's a lot of people there, but... Honestly, I knew nothing about it. I thought it was just a little festival thing. I was really kind of hesitant to even go to it. And then I got there, and it was it was amazing. I mean, as you all know, I also like a lot of true crime podcasts. And then, so as I'm sitting there at my booth and people are come talking to me, I'm like, hey, there's Nick and the Captain. And I went over and had a beer with Nick and the Captain. And here's Justin and Aaron from Generation Y. And, and Jim and Laura and Lisa were there from Real Crime Profile. And and Podcast Row was just full of, the Undisclosed team was there, you know, and, and Colin Miller and Susan Simpson and Robbie Chowdhury were all at CrimeCon last year. It's just such, for me, it is really, really fun to meet as many listeners as possible and get to interact with all of you and see you in person. 
And then also it's really cool for me to be able to sit back and have a beer with a lot of my heroes and, and other people in the industry that, that have been very supportive of our work and we try to be very supportive of their work. And uh, so, that, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. And nothing in store at the moment concrete. Usually this happens as we're flying by the seat of our pants. But so far, every year we've done this, uh, we get together with a bunch of the other true crime podcasts and usually uh, uh, us and True Crime Garage and Gen Y and then and anybody else that wants to come, we put together like a big joined meetup so we can get everybody together in one place where we can have some drinks in a very informal way and, and have a good time. So answer the question is yes, I am very much looking forward to CrimeCon. I hope to see a lot of you guys there, and that's going to do it for us today, so make sure you tune in Sunday as we're coming back to the Melgar case to dig deeper into Cindyad Gonzalez, her past criminal history, as well as any possible connections to the Melgars. That's this Sunday, and we'll talk to you guys then. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Mike Bussing is our executive producer, and all music for the show was created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Thank you to Amanda Meyer with Willow Photo and Design for designing and creating our Friday follow-up logo. And all of our font across all of our logos and banners was created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our transcription team, Rachel Timberman, Natalie Alicia, Pamela Westby, Katherine Chrisman, and Jen Reese Incandela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to Patreon.com slash TruthAndJustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts and hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a 5-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. And if you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com, just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter. The show's handle is at truthjusticepod, and my personal Twitter handle is at bobruffruth. And for more personal interactions, feel free to follow me on Instagram at truthjusticepod. Don't forget, we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. mean mike it was it was like deep cut yeah it hurt me no i was just kidding come on what are you tearing up on the wiping my tears away because you made fun of me i'm sweating hurry up so hot we're gonna be doing shirts and skins podcast here in a minute
I'm really looking forward to seeing all of you. I mean, that was the very first time I went to Crime Con. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Neither did Mike. It was a culture shock for sure, but it was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Mike doesn't particularly like crowds. I, I love to let people hear me talk, so I was fine. But um, really, it was something. Let me just start that over, you think? No? <laughs> you said it was a culture shock. Why are you talking like that? I don't know. I don't know. You said, so I was fine. I was fine. So you just so after you said it was a culture shock just for shit sure. At me. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't like crowds. Oh, I know. I'm, I'm trying kidding. to get people no. from swarming you. No, it's fine. Yeah. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.